part one of story 17 of the fairy ring this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the fairy ring edited by kate douglas wiggin and nora archibald smith story 17 yvonne and finette a tale of Brittany, part one chapter one once upon a time, there lived in Brittany a noble lord, who was called the Baron Curver. His manor house was the most beautiful in the province. It was a great gothic castle with a groined roof and walls, covered with carving, that looked at a distance, like a vine climbing over an arbor. On the first floor, six stained-glass balcony windows looked out on each side toward the rising and setting sun. In the morning, when the Baron mounted on his dun mare, went forth into the forest, followed by his tall greyhounds, he saw at each window one of his daughters, with prayer book in hand, praying for the house of Curver, and who, with their fair curls, blue eyes, clasped hands, might have been taken for six Madonnas in the azure niche. At evening, when the sun declined and the Baron returned homeward, after riding around his domains, he perceived from afar in the windows looking towards the west six sons with dark locks and eagle gaze, the hope and pride of the family, who might have been taken for six sculptured knights at the portal of a church. For ten leagues round, all who wished to quote a happy father and a powerful lord named the Baron Curver. The castle had but twelve windows, and the Baron had thirteen children. The last, the one that had no place, was a handsome boy of sixteen by the name of Yvonne. As usual, he was the best beloved. In the morning of his departure, and at evening on his return, the Baron always found Yvonne waiting on the threshold to embrace him, with his fair hair falling to his waist, his graceful figure, his wilful air, and his bold bearing. Yvonne was beloved of all the Bretons. At twelve years of age, he had bravely attacked and killed a wolf with an axe, which had won him the name of Fearless. He deserved the title, for never was there a bolder heart. One day, when Baron had stayed at home, and was amusing himself by breaking a lance with his squire, Yvonne entered the armory in a travelling dress, and, bending one knee to the ground, "'My lord and father,' said he to the Baron, "'I come to ask your blessing.' The house of Curver is rich in knights and has no need of a child. It is time for me to go seek my fortune. I wish to go to distant countries to try my strength and to make myself a name. You are right, fearless, replied the baron, more moved than he wished to appear. I will not keep you back. I have no right to do so, but you are very young, my child. Perhaps it would be better for you to stay another year with us. I am sixteen, my father. At that age, you had already fought one of the proudest lords in the country. I have not forgotten that our arms are a unicorn ripping up a lion, and our motto, onward. I do not wish the curvers to blush for their last child. Yvonne received his father's blessing, shook hands with his brothers, embraced his sisters, bade adieu to all the weeping vassals, and set out with a light heart. Nothing stopped him on his way. A river appeared, he swam it. A mountain, he climbed it. 
a forest, he made his way through it with the sun for a guide. On the curver, he cried. Whenever he met with an obstacle, he went straight forward in spite of everything. For three years, he had been roaming over the world in search of adventures, sometimes conquering, sometimes conquered, always bold and gay, when he received an offer to go to fight the heathen of Norway. To kill unbelievers and to conquer a kingdom was a double pleasure. Yvonne enlisted twelve brave comrades, freighted a ship, and hoisted from the mainmast a blue standard with the unicorn and the motto of the Kerbers. The sea was calm, the wind fair, and the night serene. Yvonne stretched on the deck, watched the stars, and sought the one which cast its trembling light on his father's castle. All at once, the vessel struck upon a rock. A terrible crash was heard. The sails fell like tinder, and an enormous wave burst over the deck and swept away everything upon it. On the curver, cried Yvonne, as soon as his head appeared above the water, and he began to swim as tranquilly as if he had been bathing in the lake of the old castle. Happily, the moon was rising. Yvonne saw, at a little distance, a black speck among the silvery waves. It was land. He approached it, not without difficulty, and finally succeeded in gaining a foothold. Dripping wet, exhausted with fatigue, and out of breath, he dragged himself on the sand, then without more anxiety, said his prayers and went to sleep. Chapter 2 In the morning, on awakening, Yvonne tried to discover in what country he had been cast. He saw in the distance a house as large as a church, with windows fifty feet in height. He walked a whole day before reaching it, and at last found himself in front of an immense door, with a knocker so heavy that it was impossible for a man to lift it. Yvonne took a great stone and began to knock. "'Come in!' cried a voice that sounded like a roar of a bull. At the same instant the door opened, and the little Breton found himself in the presence of a giant not less than forty feet in height. "'What is your name, and what do you want here?' said the giant, taking up Yvonne between his thumb and finger, and lifting him from the ground so as to see him better. "'My name is Fearless, and I am seeking my fortune,' answered Yvonne, looking at the monster with an air of defiance. "'Well, brave fearless, your fortune is made,' said the giant, in a mocking tone. "'I am in need of a servant, and I will give you the place. You can go to work directly. This is the time for leading my sheep to pasture, and you may clean the stable while I am gone. I shall give you nothing else to do,' added he, bursting into a laugh. "'You see that I am a good master.' Do your task, and above all things, don't prowl about the house, or it will cost you your life. Certainly I have a good master. The work is not hard, thought Yvonne, when the giant was gone. I have plenty of time to sweep the stable. What shall I do meanwhile to amuse myself? Shall I look about the house? Since I am forbidden to do so, it must be because there is something to see. He entered the first room and saw a large fireplace, in which a great pot was hanging suspended from a hook. The pot was boiling, but there was no fire on the hearth. 
What does this mean? thought Yvonne. There is some mystery here. He cut off a lock of his hair, dipped it into the pot, and took it out, all coated with copper. Oh, oh, cried he, this is a new kind of soup. Anybody that swallows it must have an ironclad stomach. He went into the next room, and there also a pot was suspended from a hook, and boiling without fire, Yvonne dipped a lock of hair into it, and took it out all coated with silver. The broth is not so rich as this in the curver kitchen, thought he, but it may have a better taste. Upon this, he entered the third room. There also a pot was suspended from a hook, and boiling without fire. Yvonne dipped a lock of hair into it, and took it out all coated with gold. It shone so brightly that it might have been mistaken for a sunbeam. Good, cried he. In our country, the old women have a saying. Everything gets worse and worse. Here it is just the contrary. Everything gets better and better. What shall I find in the fourth room, I wonder? Diamond soup? He pushed open the door and saw something rarer than precious stones. This was a young woman of such marvellous beauty that Yvonne, dazzled, fell on his knees at the sight. Unfortunate youth! cried she in a trembling voice. What are you doing here? I belong to the house, answered Yvonne. The giant took me into his service this morning. His service, repeated the young girl. May heaven preserve you from it. Why so, said Yvonne. I have a good master. The work is not hard. The stable once swept, my task is finished. Yes, and how will you set to work to sweep it, asked the lady. If you sweep it in the usual way, for every forkful of dung that you throw out the door, ten will come in the window. But I will tell you what to do. Turn the fork and sweep with the handle, and the dung will instantly fly out of itself. I will obey, said Yvonne, upon which he sat down by the young girl and began to talk to her. She was the daughter of a fairy, whom the wretched giant had made his slave. Friendship soon springs up between companions in misfortune. Before the end of the day, Finette, for that was the lady's name, and Yvonne had already promised to belong to each other. If they could escape from their abominable master, the difficulty was to find the means. Time passes quickly in this kind of talk. Evening was approaching when Finette sent away her new friend, advising him to sweep the stable before the giant came home. Yvonne took down the fork and attempted to use it, as he had seen it done at his father's castle. He soon had enough of it. In less than a second, there was so much dung in the stable that the poor boy knew not which way to turn. He did as Finette had bid him, and he turned the fork and swept with the handle, when, behold, in the twinkling of an eye, the stable was as clean as if no cattle had ever entered it. Task finished, Yvonne seated himself on a bench before the door of the house. As soon as he saw the giant coming, he lolled back in his seat, crossed his legs, and began to sing one of his native airs. "'Have you cleaned the stable?' asked the giant, with a frown. "'Everything is ready, master,' answered Yvonne, without troubling himself to move. I'm going to see for myself, howled the giant. He entered the stable grumbling, found everything in order, and came out furious. 
You have seen my finette, cried he. This trick did not come from your own head. What is my finette? asked Flirvon, opening his mouth and shutting his eyes. Is it one of the animals that you have in this country? Show it to me, master. Hold your tongue, fool, replied the giant. You will see her sooner than you will want to. The next morning, the giant gathered his sheep together to lead them to the pasture. But before setting out, he ordered Yvonne to go in the course of the day in search of his horse, which was turned out to graze on the mountain. After that, said he, bursting into a laugh, you can rest all day long. You see that I am a good master. Do your task, and above all things, don't prowl about the house, or I will cut off your head. Yvonne winked his eye as the giant left. Yes, you are a good master, said he between his teeth. I understand your fine tricks, but in spite of your threats, I shall go into the house and talk with your finette. It remains to be seen whether she will not be mine or yours. He ran to the young girl's room. Hurrah, cried he. I have nothing to do all day but to go to the mountain after a horse. Very well, said Finette. How will you set work to ride him? A fine question, returned Yvonne. As if it were a difficult thing to ride a horse. I fancy that I have written worse ones than this. It is not so easy as you think, replied Finette. But I will tell you what to do. Take the bit that hangs behind the stable door, and when the animal rushes toward you, breathing fire and smoke from his nostrils, force it straight between his teeth. He will instantly become as gentle as a lamb, and you can do what you please with him. I will obey, said Yvonne, upon which he sat down by the side of Finette and began to talk with her. They talked of everything, but however far their fancy strayed, they always came back to the point that they were promised to each other and that they must escape from the giant. Time passes quickly in this kind of talk. The evening drew nigh. Yvonne had forgotten the horse in the mountain and Finette was obliged to send him away, advising him to bring back the animal before his master's arrival. Yvonne took down the bit that was hidden behind the stable door and hastened to the mountain, when lo, a horse almost as large as an elephant rushed toward him at full gallop, breathing fire and smoke from his nostrils. Yvonne firmly awaited the huge animal, and, the moment he opened his enormous jaws, thrust between the bit. And lo, the horse instantly became as gentle as a lamb. Yvonne made him kneel down, sprang on his back, and tranquilly returned home. His task finished, Yvonne seated himself on the bench before the door of the house. As soon as he saw the giant coming, he lolled back in his seat, crossed his legs, and began to sing one of his native airs. "'Have you brought back the horse?' asked the giant with a frown. "'Yes, master,' answered Yvonne, without taking the trouble to move. "'He is a fine animal and does you credit. He is gentle, well-trained, and as quiet as a lamb.' He is feeding yonder in the stable. I'm going to see for myself, howled the giant. He entered the stable, grumbling, found everything in order, and came out furious. You have seen my finette, said he. This trick does not come from your own head. Oh, master, returned Yvonne, opening his mouth and shutting his eyes. It is the same story over again. 
What is my finet? Once for all, show me this monster. Hold your tongue, fool, returned the giant. You will see her sooner than you will want to. The third day at dawn, the giant gathered his sheep together to lead them to the pasture. But before setting out, he said to Yvonne, Today you must go to the bottomless pit to collect my rent. And after that, continued he, bursting into a laugh, you may rest all day long. You see that I am a good master. A good master, so be it, murmured Yvonne. But the task is nonetheless hard. I will go and see my finette, as the giant says. I have great need of her help to get through today's business. When Finette had learned what was the task of the day, well, said she, how will you go to work to do it? I don't know, said Yvonne sadly. I have never been to the bottomless pit, and even if I knew the way there, I should not know what to ask for. Tell me what to do. Do you see that great rock yonder? said Finette. That is one of the gates of the bottomless pit. Take this stick, knock three times on that stone, and a demon will come out, all streaming with flames, who will ask you how much you want. Take care to answer, no more than I can carry. I will obey, said Yvonne, upon which he took a seat by the side of Finette and began to talk with her. He would have been there till this time if the young girl had not sent him to the great rock when the evening drew nigh to execute the giant's commands. On reaching the spot pointed out to him, Yvonne found a great block of granite. He struck it three times with the stick, when lo, the rock opened and a demon came forth, all streaming with flames. What do you want? he cried. I have come from the giant's rent, answered Yvonne calmly. How much do you want? I never want any more than I can carry, replied the Breton. It is well for you that you do not answered the man in flames. Enter this cavern, and you will find what you want. Yvonne entered and opened his eyes wide. Everywhere he saw nothing but gold, silver, diamonds, carbuncles, and emeralds. They were as numerous as the sands on the seashore. The young curver filled his sack, threw it across his shoulder, and tranquilly returned home. His task finished, our Breton seated himself on the bench before the door of the house. As soon as he saw the giant coming, he lolled back in his seat, crossed his legs, and began to sing one of his native airs. "'Have you been to the bottomless pit to collect my rent?' asked the giant, with a frown. "'Yes, master,' answered Yvonne, without taking the trouble to stir. "'The sack is there right before your eyes. You can count it.' "'I am going to see for myself,' howled the giant. He untied the strings of the sack, which was so full that the gold and silver rolled in all directions. You have seen my finette, he cried. This trick does not come from your own head. Don't you know but one song, said Yvonne, opening his mouth and shutting his eyes. It is the old story, my finette, my finette. Once for all, show me this thing. Well, well roared the giant with fury. Wait till tomorrow and you shall make her acquaintance. Thank you, master, said Yvonne. It is very good of you, but I see from your face 
that you are laughing at me. Chapter 3 The next morning, the giant went out without giving Yvonne any orders, which troubled Finette. At noon, he returned without his flock, complaining of the heat and fatigue, and said to the young girl, You will find a child, my servant, at the door. Cut his throat, put him into the great pot to boil, and call me when the broth is ready. Saying this, he stretched himself on the bed to take a nap, and he was soon snoring so loud that it seemed like thunder shaking the mountains. Finette prepared a log of wood, took a large knife, and called Yvonne. She pricked his little finger. Three drops of blood fell on the log. That is enough, said Finette. Now help me fill the pot. They threw into it all that they could find. Old clothes, old shoes, old carpets, and everything else. Finette then took Yvonne by the hand and led him through the three antechambers, where she ran in a mould three bullets of gold, two bullets of silver, and one bullet of copper, after which they quitted the house and ran toward the sea. On the curver, cried Yvonne, as soon as he saw himself in the country. Explain yourself, dear Finette. What farce are we playing now? Let us run, let us run, she cried. If we do not quit this wretched island before the night, it is all over for us. On the curver, replied Yvonne, laughing, and down with the giant. When he had snored a full hour, the giant stretched his limbs, half opened one eye and cried, Is it ready? It is just beginning to boil, answered the first drop of blood on the log. The giant turned over and snored louder than ever for an hour or two longer. Then he stretched his limbs, half opened one eye and cried out, Do you hear me? Is it almost ready? It is half done, answered the second drop of blood on the log. The giant turned over and slept an hour longer. Then he yawned, stretched his great limbs, and cried out impatiently, Isn't it ready yet? It is ready now, answered the third drop of blood on the log. The giant sat up in bed, rubbed his eyes, and looked around to see who had spoken. But it was in vain to look. He saw no one. Finette, howled he, why isn't the table set? There was no answer. The giant, furious, sprang out of bed, seized a ladle, which looked like a cauldron with a pitchfork for a handle, and plunged it into the pot to taste the soup. Finette, howled he, you haven't salted it. What sort of soup is this? I see neither meat nor vegetables. No. But in return, he saw his carpet, which had not quite all boiled to pieces. At this sight, he fell into such a fit of rage that he could not keep his feet. Villain, said he, you have played a fine trick on me, but you shall pay for it. He rushed out with a stick in his hand and strode along at such a rate that in a quarter of an hour he discovered the two fugitives still far from the seashore. He uttered such a cry of joy that the earth shook for twelve leagues around. Finette stopped trembling. Yvonne clasped her to his heart. On the curver, said he. The sea is not far off. We shall be there before our enemy. Here he is, here he is, cried Finette, pointing to the giant not a hundred yards off. 
We are lost if this charm does not save us. She took the copper bullet and threw it on the ground, saying, Copper bullet, save us, pray. Stop the giant on his way. And behold, the earth cracked apart with a terrific noise. An enormous fissure, a bottomless pit, stopped the giant just as he was stretching out his hand to seize his prey. Let us fly, cried Finette, grasping the arm of Yvonne, who was gazing at the giant with a swaggering air, defying him to come on. The giant ran backward and forward along the abyss like a bear in his cage, seeking a passage everywhere and finding none. Then, with a furious jerk, he tore up an immense oak by the roots and flung it across the gap. The branches of the oak nearly crushed the children as it fell. The giant seated himself astride the huge tree, which bent under his weight and crept slowly along, suspended between heaven and earth, entangled as he was among the branches. When he reached the other side, Yvonne and Finette were already on the shore, with the sea rolling before them. Alas, there was neither bark nor ship. The fugitives were lost. Yvonne, always brave, picked up stones to attack the giant and to sell his life dearly. Finette, trembling with fear, threw one of the silver bullets into the sea, saying, Silver bullet, bright and pliant, save us from this frightful giant. Scarcely had she spoken the magic words when a beautiful ship rose from the waves like a swan spreading its white wings. Yvonne and Finette plunged into the sea. A rope was thrown them by an invisible hand, and when the furious giant reached the shore, the ship was receding rapidly at full sail, leaving behind it a long furrow of shining foam. Giants do not like the water. This fact is certified to by old Homer, who knew Polyphemus, and the same observation will be found in all natural histories worthy of the name. Finette's master resembled Polyphemus. He roared with rage when he saw his slaves about to escape him. He ran hesitatingly along the shore. He flung huge masses of rock after the vessel, which happily fell by the side of it, and only made great black holes in the water. And finally, mad with anger, he plunged head foremost into the sea and began to swim after the ship with frightful speed. At each stroke he advanced forty feet, blowing like a whale, and like a whale cleaving the waves. By degrees he gained on his enemies. One more effort would bring him within reach of the rudder, and already he was stretching out his arm to seize it when Finette threw the second silver bullet into the sea and cried in tears, Silver bullet, bright and pliant, save us from this frightful giant. Suddenly, from the mist of foam darted forth a giant swordfish with a sword at least twenty feet in length. It rushed straight towards the giant, who scarcely had time to dive, chased him under the water, pursued him on top of the waves, followed him closely whichever way he turned, and forced him to flee as fast as he could to his island, where he finally landed with the greatest difficulty and fell upon the shore dripping worn out and conquered on the curver cried yvonne we're saved not yet said finette trembling the giant has a witch for a godmother i fear that she will revenge on me the insult offered to her godson my art tells me 
my dear yvonne that if you quit me a single instant until you give me your name in the chapel of the curvers i have everything to dread by the unicorn of my ancestors cried yvonne you have the heart of a hare and not of a hero am i not here am i going to abandon you do you believe that providence has saved us from the fangs of that monster to wreck us in port he laughed so gaily that finette laughed in turn at the terror that had seized her chapter four the rest of the voyage passed off admirably an invisible hand seemed to impel the ship onward twenty days after their departure the boat landed yvonne and finette near curver castle once on the shore yvonne turned to thank the crew no one was there both boat and ship had vanished under the waves leaving no trace behind but a gull on the wing yvonne recognized the spot where he had so often gathered shells and chased the crabs to their holes when he was a child half an hour's walk would bring him in sight of the towers of the old castle his heart beat he looked tenderly at finette and saw for the first time that her dress was fantastic and unworthy of a woman about to enter the noble house of curver my dear child said he the baron my father is a noble lord accustomed to be treated with respect i cannot introduce you to him in this gypsy dress neither is it fitting that you should enter our great castle on foot like a peasant wait for me a few moments and i will bring you a horse and one of my sister's dresses i wish you to be received like a lady of high degree i wish my father himself to meet you on your arrival and hold it an honour to give you his hand yvonne yvonne cried finette do not quit me i beg you once return to your castle i know that you will forget me forget you exclaimed yvonne if any one else were to offer me such an insult i would teach him with my sword to suspect a curver forget you my finette <laughs> you do not know the fidelity of a breton that the bretons are faithful no one doubts but that they are still more headstrong is a justice that none will deny them it was useless for poor finette to plead in her most loving tones she was forced to yield she resigned herself with a heavy heart and said to yvonne go without me then to your castle but only stay long enough to speak with your friends then go straight to the stable and return as soon as possible you will be surrounded by people act as if you saw no one and above all do not eat or drink anything whatever should you take only a glass of water evil would come upon us both yvonne promised and swore all that finette asked but he smiled in his heart at this feminine weakness he was sure of himself and he thought with pride how different a breton was from those fickle frenchmen whose words they say are borne away by the first breath of the wind on entering the old castle he could scarcely recognize its dark walls all the windows were festooned with leaves and flowers within and without the courtyard was strewn with fragrant grass on one side were spread tables groaning under their weight on the other musicians mounted on casks were playing merry airs the vassals dressed in their holiday attire were singing and dancing dancing and singing it was a day of great rejoicing in the castle the baron himself was smiling it is true 
that he had just married his fifth daughter to the knight of Kervalik. This marriage added another quartering to the illustrious escutcheon of the Kervers. Yvonne, recognised and welcomed by all the crowd, was instantly surrounded by his relatives, who embraced him and shook him by the hand. Where had he been? Where did he come from? Had he conquered a kingdom? A duchy? Or a barony? Had he brought the bride, the jewels of some queen? Had the fairies protected him? How many rivals had he overthrown? All these questions were showered upon him without reply. Yvonne respectfully kissed his father's hand, hastened to his sister's chamber, took two of their finest dresses, went to the stable, saddled a pony, mounted a beautiful Spanish jennet, and was about to quit the castle when he found his relatives, friends, squires, and vassals all standing in his way, their glasses in their hands, ready to drink their young lord's health and safe return. Yvonne gracefully thanked them, bowed and made his way by degrees through the crowd, when, just as he was about to cross the drawbridge, a fair-haired lady, with a haughty and disdainful air, a stranger to him, a sister of the bridegroom, perhaps, approached him, holding a pomegranate in her hand. "'My handsome knight,' said she, with a singular smile, "'you surely will not refuse a lady's first request. "'Taste this pomegranate, I entreat you. "'If you are neither hungry nor thirsty after so long a journey, "'I suppose at least that you have not forgotten the laws of politeness?' "'Yvonne dared not refuse this appeal.' He was very wrong. Scarcely had he tasted the pomegranate when he looked around him like a man waking from a dream. What am I doing on this horse? thought he. What means this pony that I am leading? Is not my place in my father's house at my sister's wedding? Why should I quit the castle? He threw the bridle to one of the grooms, leaped lightly to the ground, and offered his hand to the fair-haired lady, who accepted him as her attendant on the spot, and gave him her bouquet to hold as a special mark of favour. Before the evening was over, there was another betrothed couple in the castle. Yvonne had pledged his faith to the unknown lady, and Finette was forgotten. End of part one of Yvonne and Finette, A Tale of Brittany.